Hi, I'm Kaylee Moore. And I'm Emma Samasco. Welcome to Freelance Writing Coach, your new go-to podcast for building a freelance writing business. In each 20-minute episode, we'll do a deep dive into one area of business with the hope that our insights as successful freelance writers will educate and inspire you. This season of Freelance Writing Coach is sponsored by Select Few. Select Few provides transparent, flexible marketing teams made of pre-vetted freelancers. Establish action plans, discover missing pieces, and then build and manage a team of pros in everything from copywriting to Facebook ads to web design and outsourced sales. No white labeling, no markups, just flexible teams of expert marketers ready to get to work. If you run a business and need help with marketing, head to selectfew.co. And if you're a pro freelancer looking to work with new clients, head to the same address or send an email over to team at selectfew.co. Tell them Kaylee and Emma sent you. Having an established writing process, of course, looks different for every single person who's sitting down to write something. But I think sometimes it's really helpful to hear how other people approach it, especially people who do it day in and day out. So I want to talk about that today. I want to kind of take a deep dive into how both of us approach sitting down to write and kind of get into the nitty gritty of the step-by-step process, what it looks like, any tips or tricks we found to make it a little bit more efficient or effective. And so my first question for you related to this topic is when you get a new assignment from a client or also like if, if it's for your newsletter, what do you do once you have the gist of the idea? What's the very first step for you? Well, it definitely depends on what the assignment is, but let's say like I get an assignment for some blog content, a blog article that I'm going to write. The first thing that I do is open up a Google doc and just dump in kind of everything into it. When I say everything, if it's a new client, let's say, and I haven't worked with them before, it's all of the information that I have about that client, their website, what their goals are, who their audience is, links to any assets that they've provided me with. I just dump it all into a Google Doc just so I like have everything in one place and I don't have to like go chasing things down in my email inbox Mm -hmm. as I'm working and researching. And from there, I start to usually do some research in terms of like, I look at other things on the internet that are out there that are maybe about this topic. Sometimes I'll put those links in the email. I might search for stats that back up some of the arguments we want to make. I throw everything into that Google Doc. And that's my first step. And from there, I start outlining. And then once I have an outline with basically I do all of the headings and the title and all of that, and then I start filling in the blanks there. So that's that's kind of how I'm sort of like open up the Google Doc, dump everything in it and start working from there. And it's definitely like a process that builds. Like I start with just like links to stuff. And then as I go, it gets more and more looking like a blog article. How would you approach the same thing? Would it be the same way? It's very similar. Yeah. I, so I use a writing brief template. So I have like kind of what you explained just a little bit more templatized, like a series of specifications about the posts that I want to have top of mind while I write. So things like the company style guide or any competitors not to reference, just things like that, that I want to keep in front of me as I'm thinking about things and sorting things out. And also when I sit down to actually start building things out, 
But I also do just a very similar approach. So I have the summary, basically the gist of the article. And from there, usually the first thing I do is I'll start uh, looking at like new research that's out on the topic. So what data can I tie in? What new reports are out that kind of illustrate trends or themes around the topic? Um, Because I feel like that's often, especially with the type of writing I do, that's, that's often a really big component. I'll start dumping into sections that I know I want to include. I'll also look at for the topic I'm writing about, what are the people also search for questions? So what are the what are the things that I need to tie in? And that's kind of like a basic SEO practice that actually Tracy Wallace talked about at our Domino retreat a couple of years ago that we did. That was a tactic she still uses and I still use every single time I write a blog post. But just kind of like finding out what are the related context and terms and subjects that people are curious about when they sit down to read more about this topic. I feel like that's a good way to get clues around that. And then the other thing I also do during this stage is I go to Twitter and I do an advanced search and I find out who are people I follow that know about this topic. So I will usually type in some sort of profession or uh, subject and I'll see whose information is tied to that in their bio. And then I'll reach out to them either via email or DM and say, hey, I'm working on a piece about X. I know you know about this. I'd love to tie in your expertise for this. Give them a little bit of context on what the topic is and then ask them a question or two so I have fresh quotes to tie into my pieces. Awesome. And that's why you're the expert of blog content, because when you describe (laughs) that, I'm like, that's why people hire Kaylee to do blogs. And you talking through that made me think that my process for doing case studies is much different than how I do a blog article. And like, I have a whole established process for doing a case study, which of course starts with understanding who the company is I'm working for, like doing a product demo and understanding their value and doing interviews with the customer and then getting transcriptions of those interviews. And there's so, and my point in saying all that is that it can vary a lot. Like your, your initial stages can vary a lot based on what you're creating. Like lots of copywriters start by doing all this customer research. And they, depending on what they're writing for, they might go on Amazon and read all of the reviews for a particular product that they're Mm. writing for and, and use that, you know, again, they're probably putting it all in some kind of master research doc or a Google doc, right? But I think you can start at it from a lot of different entry points. I think one thing is that by the time I'm writing, and I think this is true for you too, based on what you just said, The writing, it kind of writes itself because I've already done all of that research for whatever it is I'm writing. Like I either have done customer interviews and then I'm just like making them into a story or it sounds like you get insights from someone you've connected with on Twitter and they sort of tell you what you need to know and you craft that into a story. So I mean, the Google Doc maybe functions as a storage unit for all of that info you're collecting. But once it's all there it becomes relatively easy to build things out. And the process of building things out, I don't think is that different, whether you're writing a case study, a blog article, sales copy, Facebook copy. Like once you have all the info, I'm not sure the process is super different. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's kind of like paint by numbers or like building a house. So your outline is you're putting up the studs, you're putting up the walls. And then when you actually have all of that hard work done and you have all of the structure in place, at the end, you're really just like slapping paint on the walls, you know, you're just finishing it off because all the hard stuff is done. So I think that a lot of people get really hung up on, I have this blank page in front of me, I have this assignment, I'm intimidated, I don't know what to do. 
But really, if you start chipping away at it and it's just this really ugly, it doesn't have to be pretty or well-organized or anything. You've got to have something to work with though. Um, And I think for me, that's been the biggest thing that like helps me get past the intimidation factor of, oh man, I have this big assignment. It's really long or it's super in-depth. I don't know where to start. I just feel overwhelmed. If I can start rolling with that process, it's like smooth sailing once I get into it. It just immediately, that facade drops and it's like, oh, I can do this. I know how to do this step by step. I just got to chip away at it. Yeah, I have the same thing. And like copy and paste can be your friend in the sense of like I copy and paste links just to like show me that I don't have a blank page and never like plagiarizing anything, but just having the resources right in front of you, then you're suddenly not looking at a blank page anymore. And I think that helps mentally. And one of the things that I've been experimenting with, and I'm curious about how you approach this, but one of the things I've been experimenting with is showing my clients like the ugly versions of this, not mm-hmm. be, not because like I don't know. I I feel conflicted about it because I've worked with agencies that literally won't show clients anything until it's in a design layout and it's like ready to be signed off on because they don't want the client coming in and being like, can you remove the, the adjective right there? Right. Because people start to do that with editing. Mm -hmm. But what I'm trying to do with my client is to prevent the piece I'm creating from getting so far down the line and then them being like, oh, this isn't what I wanted at all. So I've started sending them the outline and I'll say to them like, this is a dirty outline. It's not supposed to look neat. Like it's supposed to be messy, but I just want you to see where my brain is going with this. And I want to make sure it's where your brain is too. And that's actually, especially with case studies, when I'm interviewing the client's customer and they're really concerned about, you know, what the customer says about them and how, how they're telling the story and how it looks to the customer and all of this stuff, they really like seeing that outline. So I don't know, do you do that or are you like, I just want, I want to see something per, I want to give them something perfect at the end. No, I definitely do the outlining review with them first because I've just been burned too many times where I hand over first draft and there was either like some form of miscommunication between us where we weren't on the same page before I got all the way into this first draft or things have changed on their end or they've decided like they want to have very specific examples. I want to make sure that before I get too invested time-wise into building something out that I'm ticking all the boxes that they need ticked within basically like here's the roadmap what am I missing? What's added? What needs to be taken out? And then we can agree on that, which also helps the editing process too. It saves so many rounds of edits. And then you get that first draft and it's almost a final draft. Like a lot of times it is the final draft. They're like, cool, we can run with this. Thanks. And so it just is a huge efficiency booster. And I think that it's just a really, really smart thing to do. The other thing too, I wanted to ask you about is I've gotten some questions recently about how you tackle the researching process. So Mm -hmm. I want to hear what your research process looks like, because that's often such a big component of writing is, you know, getting that initial homework done. It's a really good question. And it's one that I think you could answer better than me based on how you talked about your methodical, like first I go to Twitter and then I use the Google questions also ask, and especially for blog articles. So I want to focus on what I do for the research for a case study. And then I would be awesome if you maybe talked about the blog articles. So for case studies, 
the things that I really need to understand are the product that I'm writing about inside and out. And so the research required for that, and, and this is what I ask my clients for, is I need to have a product demo because I usually am writing for tech companies. I need somebody to give me an in-depth product demo. Ideally, I want to talk to someone on the sales team because I want to learn how they talk about and sell the product. I want any sales decks that they have because, again, it's like, how are how are the how is the product getting talked about when the sales team is talking with someone? And sometimes they don't have a sales team, but I want any sales assets that that they have that they're using. And then I want to understand from them. And again, these are all conversations. It's not like I'm going out and like googling. Um, I want to understand from them. You know, what is your goal of doing this case study? What value do you want to show? What are the differentiators from your competitors that we want to make sure that we highlight? What's your past relationship with this customer? Because I'm going to get on an interview with them and I don't want to flub up that relationship at all. So there's all of these things that I'm sort of asking for from the client before I can even get to work. And that's where the research comes in, I think, for the case study. And I think, you know, I, of course, like, go and visit the customer's website. And I understand as much as I can. I look up the people I'm talking to on LinkedIn. So I have an idea of like what they look like and what their specialty is. So I do sort of that digging, but it's more like in some ways it's like searching for an an ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend on the internet where you're sort of like, where you're like, I know she exists. I know her name. Let me dig and see what I can find out. Right? Like it's not I it's not super formalized. I'm just kind of like, I need to consume all I can about this so I can do a good job. Same as like, who is he dating? Is she prettier than me? I gotta find <laughs> out, right? Like it's not I mean, there are parts parts of the process like doing a sales demo or that are much more methodical, but there's other parts where I'm like, let me just do like as deep of a dive as I can, like you know, on on yeah. this customer. Let me read their Wikipedia page, let me consume everything. So I'm curious from you about like doing the blog article or other types of content that you do and and the research that goes into it. Yeah. The other thing that I thought was really interesting, you said earlier about uh, diving into the Amazon reviews was like capturing that voice of customer for case studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So smart. So smart. So many people forget to do that. And I love that you do that. I, for me, like beyond what I already talked about, there's really not a whole lot of like, it's it's not a like fancy, shiny, cool process. It's really just a matter of like finding high quality, reputable data sources for the statistics and things like that, that I'm going to tie into the piece, getting expert quotes where it's not just some random off of Twitter who might know a little bit about it. I usually try to seek out somebody with a good following and that often tweets about whatever the topic is and is kind of known within that space as an authority figure because not only does that add a lot of ethos to the piece, but it's also sometimes an added organic distribution channel for them as well, which is a really big value add is if, you know, once the piece goes live, you can say, hey, you're quoted here, um, just wanted to pass the link along. Many More times than not, people are happy to share that because it's, again, reinforcing their ethos. It's, hey, I was quoted here. And if they have a large following, then that's great exposure for the piece that I just wrote. So of course, I can't make any promises about that. But it's often a really helpful, nice to have that I can then talk about and share with the client that I've just worked with. Sure. Well, it's a value add to the client, right? I yeah, mean, To be definitely. able to say, hey, I have this expert featured. And yeah, that's yeah. more value than just a standard piece of 
you know, content. Yeah. And that was another tip from Tracy Wallace, who's at Marketer Hire now. She spoke at our retreat we hosted two years ago, and she was talking about how she, and I do this now too, maintains a spreadsheet of expert sources. So sometimes when I'm finding, I need somebody who's about or outside my, my normal network of people, I'll go to Twitter, but I also have a spreadsheet of experts who know about the topics I normally write about. So I'll reach out to them first. I make it a priority to stay in touch with them, you know, ask them, how can I help you because you're helping me with these articles? And that to me, building up that personal network has helped me raise my rates quite a bit because then that's something I can bring to the table during those value conversations of, Hey, you're not just hiring me to write this article and have it done, but you're tapping into this network that I have as well with expert sources. And here are some of the added benefits that come with that and being able to tap into that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I think for me, like the researching process is a lot just about quality and curating really relevant, high quality information that's maybe recent or fresh or like brings a new perspective to the topic. Because as we all know, when it comes to blog content, there are at this point in time, already a million blog posts about almost every subject out there. There's not a lot of low competition search terms at this point because everybody is doing SEO, everybody's blogging, everybody's trying to get that organic attention. So I think that it's really a matter of like, what new connections can I draw for the reader? What new things can I add to the existing conversation? What points can I make maybe that other people haven't made yet? And so a lot of the times it's like piecing together the data that backs up the point I want to make. And so that for me is what research is all about, like finding the supporting data and validating the point I want to make that's saying something new. Sure. It's basically a hunt for evidence. And I think that's- It's like being a lawyer. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why I talk about the looking for your ex-boyfriend's new girlfriend on the internet, because like it really is about like finding evidence, right, of- of the point that you're trying to make, whatever that point may be. Um, I'm curious, Kaylee, about like, I guess I would call this writing as an art. And what I mean by that is like, well, many writers, freelance business writers or not have sort of a process they follow or like conditions they need to be productive as a writer. Like for me, I have to be on a desktop computer. I can't listen to music. I need like a dedicated hour at least to get anything done. Do you have some like little things that you're like, I can't write an article if my dog's in the room or I don't know. Yeah, I have to have the desktop. I can't have any sound. It has to be totally quiet. I think the other thing for me is oftentimes I really need that split screen so I can have the research and data that I've dumped into the document on one side. And then I can start kind of strategically building out in a separate document, the outline. So that for me is a big efficiency booster is being able to kind of see two things at once. And I can only really do that well on my desktop with a big screen. I think the other thing is I... And we talked about this in another episode. I can't have any calls that day because then in the back of my mind, I'm always like, I need to be wrapping this up because I've got a call coming up. I need to be getting ready for that and shifting gears and like not just jumping from one thing into the other. So I need a day where I have a whole day open to just really lean into the project. Otherwise, it's it's hard to get into that workflow where things are happening smoothly because I just know that I'm going to be interrupted. So it just kind of ruins the whole day. Yeah, that makes me think that, I mean, I have sort of the same thing where I need the dedicated hours and it's hard with the limited childcare to block out 
those hours for just writing, especially because these days, so much of what I do is being on sales calls to sell the services that I'm offering and mm-hmm. doing case study interviews. So I do, I do so many interviews. And today, like for, for context for the people that are listening, when I create blog content, it's a little bit different from Kaylee because almost all the blog content I create is based on talking with one subject or maybe multiple, but one particular subject matter expert on a particular topic and getting their voice out into the world. So it's a little bit less about like mm, adding something new to the general conversation for like organic search and more about like elevating that individual's platform and audience. So in saying that, I'm, I do like a ton of interviews. I have a ton of calls. Like Kaylee, in another episode when you said like, I don't like to have video calls more than like one day a week because I want to make sure that I, you know, look presentable for them. I'm like every day. I, I like, I couldn't do that. I mean, I, I have to, I'm on calls every day. Mm-hmm. And so building in that time for like dedicated writing work can be challenging. Sometimes I get up super early in the morning. I'm a morning productive person. So like sometimes I get up at 6 a.m. and I spend an hour before my kid wakes up just like having some dedicated time. It sounds like not a lot of time, but an hour is enough for me to make a pretty substantial dent in the work that I'm trying to do. Do you have certain hours that you're productive? Like I feel like I can only write for two or three hours before I need a break. Yeah, I and I have to get up and move around in between because otherwise I will just hunch over my computer all day long. So I try to like get up at least once an hour, walk around, get a drink, whatever. But I think my most productive hours are probably like 8.30 to 11 o'clock. That's when I feel like I get a lot of my deepest work done. Right now. Um, Right now. Yeah, yeah, right now. Well, it's a little bit later for me too. We have a time difference. Right Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, and that's usually when I get my deepest work done. But I I don't know. I the thing that I always used to try to do when I was in the early days of freelance writing full time was I had a lot of client work and I would sit there at my desk for like 8 hours a day because I had so much work to do and I just I would be in it all day long. And like you said, I think you really only get two or three full quality hours of writing a day before your brain is just like over it. Yeah. And so pushing yourself to sit and write for eight hours a day because you have so much work to do, I think is a, it can put a big dent in your quality. Well, how many words do you think you write a day? Probably like 5,000 at max. Like on a, a every day, Kaylee, or like on a big day? That's a lot of words. Yeah, probably 5,000 a day. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And again, like that's, that's come from a lot of efficiency too. So it's, it's, I've got the outline and then I can just run and like 3000 words will come naturally. Oh my God, Kaylee. I'm glad I asked this question because I worked a job, my first job at a marketing agency and we wrote 4,000 or maybe 5,000 words a day. It was something like that. And it was like not sustainable for me. Like I could do it, but it wasn't sustainable. I know you have way more efficiency into your process and are writing way more interesting things than I was back then. But I would say on a, on any given day these days, I probably only write 1,500 or 2,000 words. And I think the other thing that has helped me get to that point was that a couple of years ago, I did the National Novel Writing Month thing where you have oh, yeah. to get to 
But they want you to do like 1,800 words a day, Kaylee, to reach the goal. Like to five- me, I was doing that on top of my writing work. And I was like, right. wow, I can do this. So it, I don't know. It just like shifted my perspective on word count, I guess. I don't know. I felt like it was a really helpful exercise at like volume, you know? Yeah, I, I had done that exercise too a, a few years before you. I mm-hmm. think this is like, it, it, it's not, like I think I could write 5,000 words a day, but I think this is like sort of a reminder about like how you can run your business in different ways based on like what you like doing. Like what I'm gathering from this conversation is like, I probably enjoy being on calls more than you. I hate being on calls. I'm going to be totally honest. I hate it. I hate it so much. Paul Paul Jarvis and I actually did an episode on the creative class called Phone Calls Can Die. (laughs) Okay, right. So I am like, I really thrive on being able to talk to people. And I feel like that's actually what I'm good at as a freelance writer, like building those relationships, talking to people, talking to my clients. And it's why I have this interview-focused business now where I'm like, I'll interview you and then I'll write about it. Because I really like that interview part. And now I have a team where I don't even have to do all of the writing. So I might do an interview and then I pass it off to, you know, someone like you that really likes the writing part. Mm-hmm. And I get to spend all my time on the calls. So like, I really love that we're having this conversation because I think it's just this reminder to like live in your realm of joy. Maybe that's a yeah. little too corny, but like- but know yourself, know what your strengths are and what you're good at and where you- thrive, I guess. Yeah. Because I'm not sure like it's a goal. It should be a goal for everyone to write 5,000 words a day, but that might be the right path for some, right? Yeah. I want to put an asterisk there and say that 5,000 words is not like one post. It's usually like a variety of of things, even like varying stages of drafts. So like we're talking 5,000 words total. I'm not sitting down and writing one post that's a super deep dive, like that's impossible to do. So I want to be clear if somebody's like, there's no way she's doing that. It's a variety of projects and a cumulative number. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough that there's a little asterisk there. But I, again, like I think that it's a personality thing and there's, there's a speed thing as well. So I know that I'm a much faster writer than other really, really great writers. And that has served me well um, in building a business, just being super efficient with my writing. But those writers that are a little bit slower have other value that they have, have like other things that they bring to the table that I can't. So, you know, I don't know. I do think speed is pretty helpful when you're freelancing though. And I yeah. think you're fast too. Yeah. Cause a lot of time, like time is money, you know, cause you're essentially a service provider trading their time for money. And yes, we talked about value and extra things to factor into your rates, but at the end of the day, it's like, like, what is your max for your workload? And of course you can hire subcontractors and you can hire helpers who can help scale that up quite a bit. But at the end of the day, like you're just one person. So I think that there is a limit at some point. Yeah. And I think that's when you start to think about like, well, what are other ways? Can I grow this business? If I maxed out on, on doing the service providing, and I feel like I'm making the, the income that I need to make. And we're going to talk about that in another episode. We will. But yeah, I feel like we, we, this was illuminating. It was really interesting to hear the nuts and bolts of, you know, the similar kind of the Venn diagram of where you and I have overlap and then where we're different on our processes. And of course it's different for every single person, but it's always interesting to get an inside look behind the curtain and seeing kind of how people do it, how it's made, I guess. 
Yeah. And Kaylee, do you think hearing me talk about it that we have more or less similarities than you expected? I think that we have different strengths, but I feel like process-wise, there's a lot of similarity. So like, whereas you're great on the phone and talking to people, I'm great at like, give me the transcript, like you said, and I'll have it done in an hour. You know, like, yeah, I, I'm, I, I will translate. Whereas like, I'm not great on the phone. Like I get really in my head about it. I get nervous. Whereas you are just like a natural conversationalist. And so I'm sure it flows a lot easier. Well, you're pretty good. It's more, it's more for you. Like I think your client, a client would interpret you and me the exactly the same, but you wouldn't enjoy it. You right. it would be anxiety producing for you. Yeah. And for me, I I get bored being in the dock with the transcript. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, this was super interesting. So yeah. Bottom line, know your strengths. Yeah. Yeah. Find out know what you strengths. enjoy and know yourself and be honest with yourself and maybe shift things if you're not happy with the type of work that you're doing. Maybe try a different approach. Yep, or try a different type of writing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Freelance Writing Coach. If you want more tips, tricks, and resources for building your business, visit freelancewritingcoachpodcast.com. Podcastedition.com provided editing and Ali Rico provided writing assistance. Yeah.